In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Dueling economic narratives in Georgia. My mission for Georgia is that everyone willing to strive can live in a state of plenty. Georgia is leading the nation in economic strength. Two very different messages. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Patricia, this is one of the rare times where we're both at home, it looks like. We're not on the road. We're not on the campaign trail, but we certainly have been busy all week. Yes. And as soon as we upload this podcast, I'm hitting the road. So <laughs> this is my I am it. This is my temporary Which is, spot. But, and you just got back. Yeah, I was going to say, which is why um, <laughs> this might be a quicker than usual podcast. And I just got back from the road with Governor Kip. Coming up later, we're going to talk about how Herschel Walker is responding to the latest attacks against him. But first, as you heard in that audio, Stacey Abrams and Governor Kemp are, have outlined their economic narratives for the state of Georgia this week, and they have very different visions Patricia, we heard a lot this week about the economy. Uh, the economy is the state's number one issue. And let's start with Abrams, though, because Stacey Abrams is placing a bet that legalizing casino gambling will pay off for her in November. I know these plans for technical college and need-based aid are only as good as our ability to pay for them long term. And that is why I am calling for a constitutional amendment to allow sports gaming and casinos in Georgia. The two of us have spilled an awful lot of ink writing about legalizing casino gambling and to a lesser extent sports betting in Georgia over the years. I think my first big story on this was a scoop I had at the AP where the developer of Underground Atlanta was trying to build a giant casino out on 85 in Gwinnett County and hoping that it would be like a video lottery terminal. So it wasn't full on casino gambling, but it was basically a step towards that. So this has been a very, very long road in Georgia. It's been a subject of debate for decades, but Stacey Abrams injects it, puts it basically into the forefront of her campaign, becoming the first major party candidate in recent memory, at least, to embrace fully legalized casino gambling in Georgia. Yeah, and it really has major echoes of Zell Miller and what was probably not only his most successful government program, it has to be seen as one of the most successful government programs, sort of like specific Georgia programs 
of all time, I'd have to say, when the state moved to legalize gambling in the lottery and have that fund, the HOPE scholarships. Those HOPE scholarships have now made every public Georgia institution more competitive. It has brought up the level of every institution in the state. It has, I think, brought employers to the state knowing how strong the state's well-funded higher education system is. And it's really kept a number of students in the state who would have gone out of state for college when they felt like Georgia schools weren't competitive enough. Now, those very tippy-top students, those valedictorians, are going to Georgia schools and happy to do it. And so that really revolutionized, I think, in a lot of ways, Georgia's economy for the future. And so Stacey Abrams is taking that to the next step and saying, okay, this is what we did with the lottery. Let's take that one more step with casinos and sports betting and, again, pump that into the Hope Scholarship. Every time that there's been this debate at the Capitol recently, the debate is not just is legalized gambling happening? Is it being expanded? But what does it get spent on? That's almost the harder piece of the puzzle. There's always talk about expanding infrastructure, expanding mental health spending. That was the big talk in the state this year when there was talk about uh, legalized sports betting. Um, But it never quite gets across the finish line. Having a governor on board could really change that. But you have to have the governor on board, the legislature on board, and in this case, voters on board, because she's talking about a constitutional amendment, which requires a referendum. Every year, casino advocates say, this is the year, this is the year it's going to get done. We've got XYZ support. And frankly, you know, they they haven't had support from the governor's office over the last 12 years, at least before they're back, if you count Sonny Perdue, but certainly Governor Deal and Governor Kemp haven't supported it, but they've also not opposed it. They say they personally oppose legalizing casino gambling, but they, you know, they acknowledge they can't stop a constitutional amendment because they don't have to sign a constitutional amendment into law. It's an amendment to the constitution that has to be passed by two thirds of the state legislature and then approved by a majority of Georgia voters in a referendum. So we've had that stance for the last dozen years from Georgia Republican governors, but you're right. There's been no outpouring. There's no show of support in front of the cameras for this type of legislation. And meanwhile, we've had companies like MGM, big time casino moguls visit Georgia, promise to spend a lot of money in Georgia. MGM a few years ago put out a proposal for a billion dollar plus resort that would be built in downtown Atlanta. We've also heard of proposals for Savannah and for middle Georgia and for near the airport. Stacey Abrams, her plan, there's still a lot of um, open area in that in her plan, right? The contours still haven't been completely defined because she wants lawmakers to hash out some of the details because she knows there'll be a lot more legislative debates ahead if she's governor and she pushes this proposal next year. But at the same time, she wants a cap of three casinos in Georgia. She wants them to be geographically spaced out to allow for more competitiveness. And she wants primarily the revenue generated from these increased gambling to go towards needs-based scholarships and free tech college tuition. And that's been the sticking point is that in the past, in these debates, when the question of where the revenue should go, where the added tax revenue should go from gambling, from the regulation of gambling, there's been a debate between Republicans who generally want it to go to boost the HOPE scholarship, offer more rewards, awards for HOPE scholars who maintain a B average, and from Democrats who say there needs to be a needs-based component for students who might not have that B average, maybe they have a C average, 
Stacey Abrams said in, under her plan it would be a C average, but people who also show they financially are needy and that they otherwise might not be able to go to college. And she wants that big heft of that money, the bulk of that money going towards a needs-based scholarship. Yeah. And even kids on the HOPE scholarship right now, even if they have qualified for it, over the years, they've started to pay a larger share out of their own pockets. And they've had more expenses related to books and housing. It really does, even when you do have it, it has been, it has gone from all expenses paid to most expenses paid to, I hope you can afford the rest of it. So it's not even entirely a green light for people if they're really on the edge financially. And because education is a way to get people over the edge financially in the right direction, her argument is that um, we need to make that really just take that piece of it off the table for the students who can't afford those extra costs and fees. And those costs and fees are increasing every year. And so that's been no secret. Uh, lawmakers have been looking at different ways to boost the HOPE scholarship. Um, this this would be a gigantic way to boost the Hope Scholarship. But to your point, I mean, there are a ton of hurdles between, oh, I have this idea and, oh, this would actually happen. But she has, I feel like she's kind of needed a big idea during this campaign to push out there to voters that's familiar, that they kind of lock onto. She's been pushing Medicaid expansion, but that's been an argument for years and years. This is something new when she announced it at her speech earlier this week in front of a crowd of Democrats. It was one of the biggest applause lines along with expanding Medicaid. And so she can sort of tentpole her numerous ideas. I mean, she rolled out like dozens yeah, and there's a lot. dozens of other kind of smaller initiatives if she could tentpole that economic argument with these two big ideas, I think that will help voters kind of connect to her campaign a little bit more and be able to envision, okay, this is what an Abrams presidency looks like, and here's how that would affect my family. You know, Patricia, in the 2018 campaign, Stacey Abrams, she always said she would support additional revenue going towards needs-based scholarships, but she never explicitly supported expanding casino gambling and legalizing sports betting. So this is a new issue for her. She also didn't endorse it explicitly during her time in the state legislature. So she's definitely looking at this as a dividing line. And it did become an issue in the 2018 race for Democratic primary when her opponent at the time, Stacey Evans, endorsed legalizing casino gambling. But as you mentioned, this is among a number of proposals that she rolled out. I made a list. There was like 15 or 16 issues that she highlighted. I probably missed a few. We're talking apprenticeships, new ways to build equity. Yeah. And Greg, I think at that speech that we heard along with this really big idea, everything, she made it clear, everything that she proposes from now on has an economic component to it. Even things that feel like sort of traditionally social issues like abortion, like guns. She was framing all of those issues also in an economic framework, abortion, she said you were going to start to lose companies that aren't going to come here. Same with guns, really pointing to Music Midtown and the loss of that huge event here in the state of Georgia as a major, major loss of a multi-million dollar event and sort of predicting that more will follow and uh, really saying 
at the end of the day, it's about leadership. And all of those issues um, may not be directly economic issues, but because the economy is so front and center in voters' minds, that is also going to be front and center in the way Abrams is framing all of these proposals and pitches that she's making. Now, obviously, Governor Kemp has a ready response to that. And I know you were down at the Capitol with him this week, and we can kind of get into more about that. But he's been leading with the economy, I would say, the entire time. Yeah, Stacey Abrams is definitely trying to weave together the three main issues that she thinks will motivate Democratic voters. That's abortion, guns, and the economy all together by saying that, hey, projects are leaving Georgia. Music Midtown left Georgia. Georgia could be risking its business reputation with these sort of policies. Governor Kemp has a very, very different view of things. He says these are historic times for the state. We have the most people working in Georgia than any time in our history. We have the lowest unemployment rate in our state's history. We have seen unprecedented levels of trade and commerce, as Pat talked about. And on top of all of that, twice in the same fiscal year, I had the honor of announcing the largest economic development project in Georgia history, first with Rivian and then with Hyundai Motor Group. Those are the two biggest economic development projects in the state's history, employing thousands of people when they're finished. I also asked the governor what his response is to Democrats, including Stacey Abrams, who say that his policies risk economic development deals. They, they must be using fuzzy math to uh, say we're not. We're losing economic development. We've had two record years in a row. So he's pointing to the state's record economic development numbers he outlined just a few days ago, saying that, hey, you know, we've talked about this sort of dichotomy before, this navigating, this balancing act by saying, hey, the national economy is gloomy, high inflation, high energy prices, a lot of uncertainty, a lack of consumer confidence, but at the same time, trying to point to Georgia's low jobless rates, its economic growth, its high investment dollars, all those by saying, hey, things are things might be uh, shaky nationally, but things are looking good in Georgia. And look, Patricia, I mean, the polls are sort of bearing that out. Governor Kemp has a 54% approval rating in the AJC poll. But meanwhile, more than three quarters of likely Georgia voters feel like the country is moving in the wrong direction. Yes. And, you know, Governor Kemp really does have a good story to tell. And he's out there telling it. He has been really this entire time. And he did make different choices than other governors during COVID. Opened the state up much sooner even than Donald Trump thought was a good idea. Got tons of criticism including from me. I read an op-ed that it was really stupid. (laughs) Uh, However, you know, the economic numbers really made the case for him that if the economy is your priority, you have had your priority answered and it has succeeded. And when you have the sort of national environment of doom and gloom, it really does become a competition among states between states to bring new companies over, to woo one company out of one state and into another. And that's with tax breaks, with tax incentives, by showing you have a great business environment. And that's what Kemp has been focused on. And then really since the beginning of this year, We watched this happen during his primary against David Perdue. Kemp has rolled out all of these initiatives, especially economic initiatives that he and his team know are very, very popular. 
with voters, and that includes teacher pay raises, law enforcement pay raises. So answering those financial concerns for the professions that are kind of the most underpaid and that people really value are broadly popular. And then he's been pushing out his tax refund, tax cuts, more tax refunds, although they're going to be kind of further down the road. But he is really focused on this kind of bottom line, the big macro picture with wooing companies and then the micro picture and telling, uh, having these press conferences and, and saying, to every Georgia taxpayer, this is good for you. This is an across-the-board tax cut. Democrats will say, and Stacey Abrams said, look, this is all weighted to the wealthy. This is not Georgians sharing equally in this prosperity. And she said this week, you can't have it both ways if you're a leader in America. You can't take credit for the good things and blame somebody else for the bad things. And she's talking about the economy there and Kemp blaming Joe Biden. But Kemp, I think, has been really successful in sort of carving out the pieces that voters associate with him, tax cuts, gas prices, um, in terms of his ability to cut that gas tax and suspend it month over month, and I think get credit in the process. And the, the poll numbers bear that out right now. And we're going to see both candidates lean even further into the economic issue as this campaign continues. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. And we're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which we think sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. You can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join our community right now, this instant, by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Patricia, we led the jolt on Thursday with a really interesting development that I think portends a lot in the future of the Senate race. A few days ago, Herschel Walker was slammed by a Republican group called the Republican Accountability Pack, and it's an anti-Trump conservative group that was really, I think, one of the first, if not the first group to put significant money behind an ad that brings up Herschel Walker's history of abuse allegations and violence against his ex-wife, and other women. Let's listen to the ad. Do you think you know Herschel Walker? Well, think again. Listen to what his ex-wife had to say about him. His eyes would become very evil. The guns and knives. I got into a few choking things with him. The first time he held the gun to my head, he held the gun to my temple and said, 
who's going to blow my brains out. Republican Accountability Pack is responsible for the content of this advertising. We haven't heard the Warnock campaign take this sort of line of attack against Herschel Walker yet, but we can imagine that either them or their allies might do so. On Wednesday, Herschel Walker responded, and this could be a glimpse of what could come should Warnock and other Democrats take a similar strategy. Let's listen. They dug up an old video and took it out of context. My opponents think they're hurting me, but I'm glad they did this ad because it gives me an opportunity to end the stigma around mental health. Here's the truth. My ex-wife Cindy and I are good friends, along with her husband and my wife. And I am grateful for all the support Cindy gave me during the hardest time of my life. I came forward by then in an effort to save lives and to help people who were struggling. We need to end the stigma around mental health. Let me say this to anyone watching, all the veterans and people who are suffering. Your life has value. There is hope and you are not alone. So Patricia, he's trying to turn around and attack footage, really gripping footage of his ex-wife, of Herschel Walker's ex-wife, recounting times where he abused her into a claim that Democrats and, and his opponents are trying to stigmatize his mental health issues. Yes. And he needs to do this. He needs to neutralize that issue and the past instances of domestic violence with his ex-wife. Um, it is not just his ex-wife. There have been police reports from other women. A Dallas Cowboys cheerleader said that she felt very afraid and felt like he was stalking her. So it, it is not just isolated to that one moment. And in terms of this being an old video, I mean, that was a nightline. That was an interview on Nightline with the two of them talking about his mental health diagnosis. And it's it's a problem for Herschel Walker. People ask me about it, talk to me about it. And I think that this is a very effective way to neutralize it. I don't think it gets the job done completely, but by pivoting from this ad that features his ex-wife in the most graphic of terms, talking about her life being threatened and pivoting to if you're a veteran and you need help, your life is with value. That is very powerful. It doesn't fill in the blanks, though, what we don't know about Herschel Walker, his medical diagnosis, the man who diagnosed him, and the kind of treatment that he's received since then. He has never spoken in detail about that since he's been a candidate. And I think that voters need to know more about that. I don't know that they will know more about it, but I don't think this puts the entire issue to rest. But I think it's a very effective response. So far, we haven't seen a Raphael Warnock and his formidable war chest kind of use its resources to, to go out with this line of attack. Really, a lot of their ads are focused either on his accomplishments in the Senate, on promoting his Senator Warnock's persona, and also of undermining Herschel Walker's credibility. I'm not sure that we will see the Warnock campaign directly attack Herschel Walker on these grounds, but we might see his allies do so. Okay, now it's time for one of our favorite segments. It's the listener mailbag. And you can join it by calling the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. You can leave a question and we will play it back and answer your question right here in the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. It's a number my kids have memorized because they call it 24-7. It's 770-810-5297. And Shaney B., 
who staffs this 24-7 with a dedicated core of uh, Shaney B interns. Uh, we have some really good calls this week, don't we? We sure do. And your kids have really kept my interns on their toes. <laughs> so thank you. Give them an extra scoop of ice cream. Thank them. I'll give them some extra dessert. Tonight. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but earlier this week, we got a phone call from Fran in New Jersey, and she's very interested in Herschel Walker and his campaign here in Georgia. I've been watching with interest the Walker-Warnock race, and um, from up here, looking down to your state, we just feel like he's just not a competent candidate, Walker, that is. And I'm just dumbfounded. We just can't believe that he's being taken so seriously. And I know you all cite different polls, but just honestly, from just a completely um, neutral territory, is this candidate really serious? It just blows our minds up here that when we see Reverend Warnock being so active and so competent, it just doesn't seem that Herschel Walker could even compare. Um, thank you. Fran, thank you for listening from New Jersey. I'm just really it. blown away for the Little Politically Georgia podcast. I love it. Um, and I will take this question first. Fran, if you've ever attended a University of Georgia football game, this might make more sense to you. <laughs> because Herschel Walker, before he got into this race, was already over 70% in the GOP primary when he did not even live in Georgia. I must tell you, he lived in Texas at the time and was still winning the GOP primary before he ever even lived here, before he registered to vote here, and before he voted in any election. So, uh, Fran, it's very real. I would say he's becoming a more and more serious candidate. I think other people like you wrote this off as a complete joke. But here in Georgia, we have a 50-50 battleground state, it feels like. We have voters very loyal to the nominee of their parties. And we have Republicans and Trump supporters very loyal to Herschel Walker. Now, there is a meaningful percentage of Republicans who are not quite there on Herschel Walker and some independent voters very concerned about Herschel Walker. But this is going to be a tight race. It's going to depend a lot on the ground game. And it's going to depend a lot on how Herschel Walker performs between now and November, because most Georgia voters have not seen him in a back and forth with reporters or in a debate with Raphael Warnock. And that will give people a lot more information about how to assess this candidacy. Well said, Patricia. And Fran, uh, not only is Herschel Walker a serious candidate, but this race is probably a toss-up. Despite all the money that Raphael Warnock has spent, I mean, millions of dollars a week on ads alone, he's only ahead within by about three or four points, depending on the poll you look at. And some show them basically statistically deadlocked in this race. So he's a very legitimate candidate. You know, I look no further to the reactions from other Republicans last year, long before he even entered the race, where you had candidates saying basically that they wouldn't even bother trying to run against Herschel Walker and others saying they would only run if he didn't. Only a handful of name brand Republican candidates would even kind of have their name be floated out there as potential opponents of Herschel Walker. And yes, Donald Trump's endorsement was a part of that. And yes, Mitch McConnell's endorsement was probably a part of that reluctance to go challenge Herschel Walker. But the main reason is that exactly what Patricia said, he's a legend in Georgia. Folks like me who grew up with parents who could care less about football still grew up 
hearing about the legend of Herschel Walker. I was talking to a Republican skeptic of Herschel Walker the other day who said that despite his skepticism of Herschel Walker's campaign, the password to his home alarm system is Herschel, right? So I will not use that person's name because I don't want anyone breaking into that person's house. But it's real, right? It's real. I mean, you know, I, I grew up, I'll put it this way. A couple of years ago, when I bumped into Herschel Walker in an airport, I made a beeline to him and immediately took a picture with him. And I don't take pictures with political candidates and things like that ever because I'm a reporter, but this was not a political candidate. This was a legendary athlete whose stories I grew up hearing. So that's a part of that. If you're born and bred in Georgia, even if you're not a UGA football fan, even if you could care less about sports, that name brand goes a long way. And of course, now he's got to put his words, his policies, his standpoints behind that. And now it's up to Raphael Warnock to prove why, in Raphael Warnock's view, why he's not a credible candidate, why he's not made for the Senate. Because there's a lot of national folks like you around the nation who are flabbergasted that, you know, that no other Republican really emerged from all this. But I'll, I'll tell you why, you know, no other name brand Republican raised their hand to run because they were all too afraid of going up against the Herschel Walker juggernaut. The biggest name we had was was Gary Black, who was a who's not a small fry by any means. He's a state agriculture commissioner, but he didn't have the fundraising network or the name ID or the same sort of recognition or institutional support that Herschel Walker did even before he got in the race. Janie, we got another question, don't we? Yeah, we got time for one more. Uh, this caller did not leave his name but has a, a great question about Georgia's permissive gun laws and how they affect popular events in Atlanta and around Georgia. Has there uh, been any thought on the Republican side about creating a narrow exception that would allow music midtown and other festivals to ban weapons during the event? Do you think uh, a narrow exception could be passed without uh, creating too much anger among the Republican base? Great question, unnamed caller, because right after the Music Midtown Festival was canceled, I got calls from high up, high ranking local officials who were basically saying that lawmakers have to act. They have to take this step or else the city will lose other festivals, other events. Because so many artists these days have riders on their, they have provisions on their contracts, riders on their contracts that say that they can't perform in venues that allow certain weapons and the like. So um, I heard that immediately. I started checking around because I thought there might be some appetite in the Republican-led legislature uh, for such a move. And I talked to some Republicans who were open to the idea, but when I checked in with some legislative leaders and some of the pro-gun sponsors of the measure, I got a quick no, that this is not on the table. Now, it's a long way from here to January, and we'll see a lot of things that seem like they're non-starters in January end up being the biggest debates by March or April in the legislative session. But that's just the early sense I got. Yes, I am very skeptical that there be any kind of a carve out for frankly, anything in the state of Georgia. And that's because of the way that the gun issue has really become to be framed by Republicans here in this state. And that is the first argument is that the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is to have a good guy with a gun that argues for more guns. And that is an argument that we have heard a lot on the floor of the state house and Senate when they are arguing for additional um, 
lifting of any kind of gun restriction. Also, uh, we hear a lot about citizens having the right to protect themselves from government tyranny. (laughs) And so, um, I mean, these are really foundational, fundamental, constitutionally based the concept that it is it is your God-given right to wake up and take your gun with you wherever you want in the state of Georgia. There are some restrictions that uh, were not changed by the latest gun law that lifted the requirement to have a permit. But in terms of having more carve-outs, I see the direction of gun legislation going in the other direction. I see people looking to take away those carve-outs rather than add more restrictions to where people can carry guns in the state. Uh, which is why it's also becoming such a big issue in the governor's race, because Stacey Abrams would veto any such legislation to expand gun rights. Well, Governor Kemp, um, he made it a big part of his first term. We don't know what he would do in a second term when it comes to pro-gun legislation, but we certainly know he's been supportive of it in the very recent past. Okay, Patricia, it's time for who's up and who's down. I'll go first. I'll say who's up for sure, the gambling industry in Georgia. Stacey Abrams getting behind not just legalizing casino gambling, but also sports betting was a major move, became the first major party candidate that I can think of in recent Georgia history um, who supported such an idea, but also because a little more pressure on Republicans. And I asked Governor Kemp's staff and his aides what they thought about that idea and where they stood on sports betting. And there was a little bit of news there because he said that uh, his office said that Governor Kemp will work next year, if he's reelected, with legislative leaders on advancing sports betting legislation. And he, he took a back seat on that issue this year. He opposed it back in 2018. Now he's open to the idea there's been a Supreme Court ruling that has opened the door to sports betting. And Georgia looks like it could go in that direction no matter who is elected governor next year. My who's up is related but not identical, and I'm going to say the Atlanta Braves are who's up, and that is because the Braves have wanted sports betting. Um, They are one of multiple teams, professional teams in Georgia who have wanted to see local sports betting allowed here in the state. And then at the very same time, they have a new player named Vaughn Grisham, who's first at bat. (laughs) He hit it over the green monster into the streets of Boston. And I feel like the Braves couldn't have a much better week. Acuna has been stealing home. Like, I feel like everything's coming together for the Braves. So I think it's been a great week in politics for the Georgia Braves. I mean, Georgia Braves, Atlanta Braves, excuse me. And the Braves certainly need to pick me up because I don't want to remind you of the brutal series they had against the Mets where they lost four out of five just a few days ago. Yes, We've got Vaughn Grissom, uh, Michael Harris, of course, Spencer Strider. We've got three just jaw-dropping rookies and some of the youngest players in Major League Baseball and not just on the field for the Braves, but excelling. Uh, Man, we could do a whole podcast just on the Braves. (laughs) You know, they should do a Braves podcast for the AJC. Yeah, uh, we can. <laughs> I kid, we I one. kid, yes. of course we do. We should do a crossover though. Where, yes. Where we, we bring Justin on to talk about Senate race and we come on to talk about Vaughn Grissom. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure he needs our input. <laughs> I'm sure he does. I'm like sending a message. Like, hey, I'm like, wow, um, that was super cool. <laughs> our, my who's down would have to be overall confidence in our core institutions. We saw a new round of polls this week that showed a lack of trust in Congress, a lack of trust in the media, and certainly after the FBI search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida, there's been new 
especially among conservatives, new attacks on the FBI's credibility, on the Justice Department writ large, that is really, really concerning. And it should be concerning from people, no matter what their political perspective is, on some of the core institutions that guide our, our, our nation. And my who's down this week is Rudy Giuliani. He has been trying to and tried again this week to delay his answering his subpoena in Fulton County Superior Court. He said uh, he had a lawyer saying he can't possibly be here within the next five weeks. He had a medical procedure in July. The DA's office said, well, yes, the doctor's note you sent is from an infectious disease specialist. We're confused about that. And also he went to New Hampshire a couple days later and tweeted out a selfie with a gorgeous blonde. <laughs> so the, the judge in the case, Robert McBurney, said, you know, he said, okay, I understand air travel's off the table. Why don't you take a bus? Why don't you take a train? The DA's office can help pay for it, make it a leisurely stroll south, but you're coming to court. And so um, that was not a great look for Rudy Giuliani. And I do expect he'll be here in Georgia unless his infectious disease specialist has something to say about it. <laughs> we'll find out if he takes the midnight train to Georgia, which is a terrible joke I made on national TV just a few days ago. Well, Patricia and I really appreciate you listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. We've got to get her to her next event right now, Stacey Abrams. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or really whenever big news breaks. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,